Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message that Tom Job gave on Sunday morning, February 6th, 2021 from the Gospel of Mark chapter 4 and Acts 27. Hey, I wanted to read a couple of places today. From This comes from the Gospel of Mark chapter 4 where it says, um, when the evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. And so leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat and there were other boats with them. And there was a furious squall that came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern asleep on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are going to drown? And he got up and rebuked the winds and said to the waves, be quiet, be still. And then the winds died down and it was completely quiet. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and said, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So then I want to be this other place. I'm kind of obsessing right now with this. Um, okay, so my goal today is to finish this whole thing in 23 minutes. But so, but um, anyway, so, well, but this is this, it's this, it's this chapter where like Paul, you know, like when Paul was a missionary, like Paul was a missionary, like so, and he was really the first missionary, like to leave his culture and country to go to other countries and tell, and he went all over the place. And so at this, and at one point, he started going to big cities, to Corinth, to Ephesus, to, to um, and his dream was to go to Rome. So anyway, he went to Jerusalem, and then he was going to go to Rome. And so he was on this ship, like a cargo ship. And there were like, what, 270-something people on it? And so they got to Crete. And then they were supposed to wait, because it was November, and you're not supposed to cross the, Atlantic, the Mediterranean. And they decided to do it. And he's like, no, this is a terrible idea. Anyway, they were in this ter storm, this terrible storm. And it was just like wind blowing, waves beating. And for two weeks, they couldn't see the sun, couldn't see the stars, da, da, da. But he was so, so uh, Paul was so brave. Like everybody was freaking out. And he, but he just kept telling everybody, just don't be afraid. And so, so my thing is, how do you be brave like that? Like how, how was he so brave? And one of the thoughts, this was kind of like last week was, he was a missionary, like he had already given his life to Jesus, like Jesus owned everything. So if you give your whole life to Jesus, you're not really afraid anymore because um, it's not yours. Like you have nothing to lose. You've already given it to Jesus. So one of, so one of my favorite people and one of the bravest people I've ever read about was a, a man named D.L. Moody. Have you all ever heard of D.L. Moody? So from here, probably. But um, so D.L. Moody was like, a, he, he probably went to the second grade. He could barely spell. But he moved from Deerfield, Connecticut to Chicago when Chicago was like booming in the 1850s. And he became a shoe set representative of a shoe company. And he was on his way to saving up $130,000 by the time he was 30, which was over a million dollars. He was so good at it. But then he fell in love with Jesus and he started reaching out to kids who lived in this, the worst neighborhoods of Chicago in a place called Little Hell on the north side of Chicago. All these kids were just like, you know, the kids of drug addicts and prostitutes and all this. And he started doing young life work before there was ever such a thing and just gathering these kids in an old saloon that he rented 
And he would play games and sing songs and give them a five minute talk about Jesus and do that for four hours, like every hour a five minute talk about Jesus. And he trained leaders and got up to 1400 kids coming to this thing. Anyway, then he, when the Civil War started, he became a chaplain in the Civil War with the YMCA with Grant. And he was with Grant at Shiloh and, and Stone River and Chickamauga and all the worst battles and just go out there and try to lead dying people to Jesus. And then he became a guy that just was gifted at sharing the message of Jesus. He, so he just traveled the world. He was never afraid. And he preached the message of Jesus to over a hundred million people before there was microphones and stuff. And then when he got it kind of around 1890, so he started thinking, I'm going to kind of calm down and maybe have some time for me. And he had gone to Scotland and he was on a ship with his son, Will, and with a a Union general named O.O. Howard, who had one arm, who loved Jesus, Howard University named after him. They're coming, they have 725 people on this ocean liner. All of a sudden, four days out, they, there's this massive crash and the shaft, the propeller shaft broke in two and pierced outside the ship and it started to sink. And so we're like, they're out there and it's sinking. And so they were able to stop it, but the ship was tipped and just kind of rocking and it was just drifting like off. And they were hoping that an ocean, another ocean liner would come by and see their flares or whatever. And for the first time in his life, Dale Moody was afraid. And they were going to have the great Chicago World's Fair. In Chicago, you know where that Ferris wheel come from up there. And he was like, should I get involved in that? Should we try to reach out to people during the World's, World's Fair? I just want some time for me. And he was afraid. And he was afraid of what was going to happen. And they were afraid they were just going to drift out of the ocean lanes and never be seen again. And he said, God... I don't want any of my life for me. I want to give it back to you. I will do whatever. If you want me to reach out in the Chicago World's Fair, I'll do it. If you want to take me to heaven, I'll go. My life is yours. And he said his fear dissipated and he slept like a baby. There was a ship that saw them, saw their flares, came, drug them back to Liverpool. He went back to Chicago. They had outreach at the World's Fair and reached 1.9 million people. Um, that has nothing to do with this. But I just, and it is not officially a part of my 23 minutes. So there's, okay, on the third day, so they threw the ship, but you know, like Paul was just on this shipwreck and he's so brave and it's just like, why? And so apparently it just, because he gave his whole life to Jesus, apparently that's what that was about. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their hands and it was either sun or stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging. And after they had gone on a long time, we all gave up hope of being saved. And after a long time without food, Paul stood up and said, men, you should have taken my advice and, and not left for Crete. But and then you would have been spared. But now I urge you to keep up your courage. Be brave because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the Lord, of God, the God I belong to and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, don't be afraid, Paul. You will stand before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men. I have faith. It'll be just like God told me. And it was. So, Lord, I do thank you for this 
just, I thank you for bravery. It's the greatest thing ever. Thank you for this. But I, I do pray for anybody that needs to be brave right now that maybe we could learn something about how to do it. I always need it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, okay, so, the, okay, so we started watching the Winter Olympics, which I, I have decided that the Winter Olympics are a global tournament of chicken. Like, you know, you know like when you play chicken, like, I'm going to do this. I dare you to try it. You know, but it's just like, because the Winter Olympics is so, it's like you have to be so brave. Like the Summer Olympics, you have to be strong or fast. In the Winter Olympics, you have to be strong, fast, and brave. I'm like everything that they do. The Summer Olympics, there's not that many dangerous ones. Like the most synchronized swimming is probably one of, it's probably, all people involved in this, they have to hold their breath for two minutes and then, but all of them will say at one point or another, they had a mild to severe concussion. So it's super dangerous. But the Winter Olympics, it's like, it's all dangerous. Like you have to be brave to do everything. Like the luge, they go 92 miles an hour down that thing. So Jerry Seinfeld said the luge is the only Olympic event that you can win the gold medal and not even want to be in it. It's just like somebody said, get on there. I don't want to get on there. Shut up and get on there. You know, they're just like, how you win? But the, um, like the ski jump, like this, okay, so you think about the ski jump. It's a jump. You're literally jumping off of a ledge and the world record is 832 feet. So you think about jumping off a ledge and landing on your feet after going through the air 832 feet. Come, I mean, there's other kinds of fear, fear of global humiliation, like in like figure skating where you, you know, like for three, four minutes and 3.4 seconds, you're just amazing. And then you slip and fall on your can. You know, it's like that. And that's the part they show. They show that 0.43 seconds where you fall on your can. Like in the Summer Olympics, when you, in the Summer Olympics, if you're in the high jump, if you're coming 17th or you set the world record, you wind up on your backside. Pole vault, same thing. If you set the world record, you wind up on your backside. Figure skating, you wind up on your rear. It means you're losing. Like it's, it's there was a person I saw this person hit the ice so hard on their rear end. I thought they were gonna break through the ice and wind up in the water, you know? And then I thought there probably isn't water under there, but it's just, but you know, like it's just, you just have to be brave. So we live in a society where it's, there's a lot of reasons to be fearful and you have to learn to be brave. One psychologist, he calculated that humans think 66,000 thoughts a day and 44,000 of those thoughts are fearful, are thoughts about, about fear. Although one person said that in our society, there is no danger so small that it could not be magnified into a national nightmare. And they were talking on the Today Show. We were watching, I was watching the Today Show before I left the house and they were talking about breaking overnight. Why is there a rise in shark attacks? So sharks in America kill one person every two years, one person. Toasters kill 171 people per year. So, you know, what is, one, there was a French philosopher and he said, um, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. But, um, but at times you do have to be brave. I mean, people, the people in, that have always been my heroes, like in the kingdom of God are people that, that, were, that were brave. Like there was a person, there was a person named Adoniram Judson, who in 1813, he was from uh, Connecticut. 
But he wanted to go with William Carey. William Carey had left England in 1893. He was considered the first Protestant missionary to go to India. And Nat and Iron Jetson wanted to go to India. Um, and he had met this girl and he was like, will she go to India with me? Like he was crazy about her, but he was going to India. And he wound up not really, he wound up spending all of his life in Myanmar and he changed the history of what they called Burma back then because so many people came to know Jesus. But he wrote a letter asking this girl's dad if he could marry his daughter. And, and this is, she, she was, you know, up for it. So she was wanting to go with him. And, but the letter said, I now ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure, her subjection to hardship, suffering of missionary life, whether you consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? and for the sake of the perishing, immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God. He said yes, she said yes. She did die within a year there, but um, just pe but people who were brave. They, although it is, Adoniram Judson has always been considered the first American Protestant missionary, the first Baptist missionary, American Baptist missionary, which is not true. William Carey was, not, was is always called the first Protestant missionary, which is not true. The first Protestant missionary, American missionary, and American Baptist missionary was a slave named George Leal, whose master, he came to know Jesus. His master know, knew Jesus. His master woke up one day and realized owning slaves is not cool in the kingdom of Jesus. And so he set him free. And then, and he was an amazing evangelist and missionary. And he felt called to go to Jamaica. And he went to Jamaica in 1783 to reach J slaves who were enslaved in Jamaica. And he was imprisoned with his wife and kids went with him and he was imprisoned for three years for preaching the gospel to slaves and causing what they said was unrest. And it really was what we would call, you know, coming to Jesus. And, um, and then he was let out and he and two colleagues, because of them, there were 20,000 Baptists in Jamaica. I just, you know, I think about Paul and how brave, like, just how brave he was. And if you're going to follow Jesus, at some point you have to be brave. Like, you might not do stuff he did, but you might have to be brave enough to, to leave a relationship that isn't good. Or you might have to be brave enough to say no to someone who, uh, you know, is trying to get you to walk a certain way and you say, no, you, it takes courage to, to ask for help if your marriage is in trouble. You have to be brave to admit that you, maybe you have a problem and it's a problem that is potentially a shameful problem and you need help with it. You have to be brave to confess something to someone. You have to be brave to ask 
someone to forgive you for something that you've done. You have to be brave to follow Jesus. And Paul, like, he was so brave. Like, there was a, there was a, a place in, on his, one, the first missionary trip he ever took where he went to the city of Lystra. And he was telling all the people in the city about Jesus. And it was going amazingly until it took a certain turn. And then it went like terrible. And they got super angry at him for talking about Jesus. And they took him outside the town. And they were going to stone him to death. And I mean, like, people are mad. If they're, like, if, you know, if they're going to kill you with rocks, they are super mad. And so they just started throwing stones at him. And he was just under a pile of stones, stoned to death. Like, everybody thought he under that pile of stones was, you know, dead Paul, like, stoned to death. And everybody, like all the people who had accepted Jesus in the last few days, they were crying and stuff. And then one of the stones began to move and it rolled down the pile and then other stones rolled down the pile and he stood up and he wasn't dead. And they're like, oh, you're not dead. And he's like, and he got out of that pile of stones and he said, let's go back to the city. I need to tell them more stuff about Jesus. And it's like, I want some more of this. And it's just like, you're amazing. Like he was just so brave. And they're on, so on the shipwreck, I mean, the ship that's in this storm, this two-week storm, and he was just so brave. So I just have been thinking about it. I just have been thinking about this, to be on a ship in a storm for two weeks, and everybody thinks we're dead. And he was just super brave. And how do you do that? So... It made me think about the time that Jesus and his, his guys got into a boat. He said, let's get into this boat and then let's go across the lake, which is not something that they knew like this, that sea they thought better than he did. You don't do this at night. There's sudden storms at night, blah, blah, blah. If you say so, we'll do it. And then all of a sudden they're in this, um, this storm, like this massive storm. And Jesus was sound asleep. I mean, he was like Paul, like just so full of peace, not afraid of it. And he was sleeping. And so then they woke him up and said, Lord, don't you care? We're going to drown. We're about to drown. We're drowning. And, um, and Jesus just said, you know, guys, in, in the gospel of Luke, it said, um, Jesus said, where's your faith? And they're like, what? And he's like, where's your faith? And then he's like, what are you saying? And then he said, be quiet. And the storm is completely quiet. And he said, guys, where's your faith? And so apparently that's a thing. If you're freaking out in a situation, you've left your faith somewhere. So, um, and you think, well, like what faith are you talking about? Well, for one thing, your faith in Jesus as your savior, like I have faith in Jesus, that he's my savior. So in all of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in, when they tell the story of this uh, storm, like the translations that we have say, um, don't you care that we're going to drown? But the New Testament was written in the Greek language, and in the Greek language, it's not really the word drowned. It's the word perish. Don't you care that we are going to perish? Like that is a really, really strong word. It's the same word that's used in Matthew chapter 10 when Jesus talked about a sheep that was lost, like it's just lost. 
And what do you do about that when you have a sheep that's just out there and lost? And later on in the chapter, he said, Jesus talked about people, and it's used, he used that same word, people who perish in hell. And so, but the word hell is, um, it's, a, it's a word Jesus used a bunch, but it's the word Gehenna, which referred to the garbage dump outside of the city of Jerusalem. Like, what if you just get thrown away, like you're just lost, and you just get thrown away onto the garbage dump, and you're just, in the, you're just it's just garbage, and you're just thrown away like forever. And it's like they were saying, don't you care that we're going to be lost and just thrown away like forever? And you're kind of like, is that really what they were saying when they said, don't you care that we're going to perish? I think that there's a whiff of that every time someone is afraid. Because there's a place in 1 John chapter 4 where John said, there is no fear in love. Like if I really understood the love of Jesus, I'd never be afraid again. There is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And if I'm afraid, in my heart there's basically a thought, I know I really should be thrown away. I know I really should be lost and I should be thrown away and something bad really kind of should happen to me. I just kind of know that. And then you look to Jesus and say, don't you care? Yeah, yes, he cared. Yes, he cared. It's the same word where it said, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believed in him would not perish, would not be lost, would not be thrown away. It's the same word that Jesus used in Luke chapter 15 where he said, if, if you, okay, so what if y'all, because they were saying, why do you hang out with the people? They're so, you hang out with the worst people. And he said, he said, okay, if one of y'all had a hundred sheep and you lost one, one of them was perishing. It was just lost. How would you feel? Wouldn't you feel terrible about it? Like, wouldn't you not be able to sleep? Wouldn't you want to look for it? That's how I feel about these people. And he said, what if a woman had 10 coins, which scholars say that had to do with kind of a engagement necklace that they used to wear. It kind of represented their dowry or whatever. And he was talking to Pharisees, which they didn't really allow women in their circles. Jesus did allow women in his circles, but he's like, so a woman lost one of those coins. How would she feel? I don't know. I don't know what a woman feels, you know, that's, but he said, well, it would feel terrible. And she, and she would really, really not be happy about it, that one of her coins was lost and it was going to be thrown away. What if you had a son and that son was lost? It, he was just going to be thrown away. He would wait every day. And the moment he saw him, he would hug him and kiss him and hug him and kiss him. And that's how I feel. Jesus like, that's how I feel. I do care. I do care about that and about that's what I was. And just like a sheep, he put me on his shoulders and he took me home and just like a coin, he cleaned me off and just like a son, he threw a party for me. I'm a son now. He's not throwing garbage away, he's throwing a party for me. To not be afraid, 
I need to not lose my faith in Jesus as my savior. I need to not project my past into my present because it's gone. But, one, but another thing that I need to do is I need to project my present into the future. I have faith in Jesus as my savior, but what do I believe that Jesus died for me in the past? But what do I believe about Jesus today? I believe that Jesus is risen. I believe he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I believe he's Lord over everything. And I believe right now, I believe he's with me. And so like when I was at UT hospital doing that chaplain thing and I do the, like the all night shift and all that stuff. And sometimes they'd call me, you know, they, the, the buzzer would ring at 2.30 and somebody maybe that had COVID or whatever and they were afraid and they need to talk to the chaplain. And then I go talk to them and then I would, um, you know, and then you find out that they love Jesus. And I would say, okay, you know what, I, you know what I'm gonna do? And I'd go get a piece of paper and I would write Hebrews chapter 13, verses four and five that says, he has said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my help. I will not be afraid. He's right here with you. And I'd go into their room and I'd tape it on the railing of their bed and say, when you wake up later on, just read this, read it over and over and over and over. And maybe you won't have to buzz me at 3.45 in the morning, but, but you know. So, um, okay, so one thing that the Gospel of Mark said when, when they were in that boat and it wound up being in a storm is that Jesus, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, said to them, this is only in the Gospel of Mark in that story, but he said, let us go to the other side of the sea. Okay, so the one who said that is the same one who said in Genesis chapter one, let there be light, and there was light. And when he says, let us go to the other side of the sea, you're gonna make it, like you're gonna be fine. Like you, if there's a, who cares if there's a storm? He said, let's go over there, you're gonna make it over there. So there's a place in chapter 24 of the book of Acts, when Paul went to, um, he was in Jerusalem, there was like this massive riot and everything, and they were about to like tear him apart. And then he was gonna get arrested, and it was a super scary situation. He was, his plan was to go to Jerusalem and then go to Rome, but he got arrested, and it was, everything was falling apart. And it was really, really scary. And he said, Jesus appeared to him in the night and said, don't be afraid you are going to testify for me in Rome before the Caesar. You're gonna make it. And so if he was in a storm on his way to Rome, you're gonna make it. Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords and he said, you're going to get to Rome. When Peter was arrested in Acts chapter 12, one of the multiple times, and Herod arrested Peter and James, the brother of John, and James was beheaded with a storm, with a sword. And then Peter was in this cell and he knew that the next day was gonna be his next day, but he slept like a baby because he knew, nope, they can threaten all they want, they're not killing me tomorrow. And the reason is because in John chapter 21, in that last private conversation that Peter and Jesus had together, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, when you're an old man, people are gonna take you somewhere that you don't wanna go. 
So when he got arrested and got put in that cell, it was just a few months later. I'm not an old man yet. If Jesus said, I'm going to make it to the other side, I'm going to make it to the other side. If Jesus said, I'm going to be an old man, I'm going to be an old man. If Jesus said to Paul, you're going to testify for me in Rome. I don't care how big a storm there is. I'm going to make it. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So, so let me ask you this. So what about me? Like, does Jesus have a destination for me that I can look to and say, until I reach that destination, I'm good, no matter what happens? Um, maybe not exactly like that, with a place name on it, but there's a place in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that says, um, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared before and that we should do them. And the word workmanship is the word poem. God is writing a poem with you. He's writing a poem with me. He's doing, make, write, making something beautiful out of your life. A poem has a beginning, it has a middle, it has an end. A poem is like no other poem. God gave you a personality like no other personality. Jesus came to live inside of it and he's making you into a person that nobody will ever be but you. And until it's done, you're good. There's, there's, there's a place in, he also says he has stuff for you to do. He has a mission for you to do. You just walk with him and you'll do things that only you could do. And until they're done, you're good. It says in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, he's making you just like Jesus. So you with a unique personality, a completely unique person, making you like Jesus so that when you're like Jesus, when I'm like Jesus, we'll be completely different from each other. But that's what he's doing. And until he does that, you're good. And so you think, well, does that mean that if I don't do anything but watch TV and I'm a grumpy grouch, I'll live forever? Like, no, it's not saying that. Because in verse 28 of Romans chapter eight, it says that God makes every, is causing everything in your life to move you down that track. Like to, to good things, bad things, hard things, joyful things, painful things, sweet things, bitter things. That God is doing everything in your life to make you like Jesus. So the fact that he has a destination for you and that you're good until you reach it, it doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen to you. And it doesn't mean that hard things are not going to happen to you. They're part of the thing. But you're good. You know, I, I, you think about like when Paul, Jesus said, you're going to make it to Rome. An angel appeared to him in the middle of the storm and reiterated that you're going to make it to Rome. But why did I have to go through the storm? Like, what's up with the storm? I have no idea. Like, why? So why couldn't we just sail there? It's like, I don't know why that is. Sometimes I think this was his fourth shipwreck. Sometimes I think God allows you to go through difficult things. Sometimes he allows you to go to di through difficult things repeatedly. And then when you go through them again, you realize, hey, I didn't react to this the way I did the first three times. Uh, I might be growing a little bit. It's a way to see that you're growing. It's a way in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, God puts you through things. He puts me through things so I can help people that are going through the same thing. I've been through this before. I know we're good. If Luke is totally freaking out, I can say, hey man, we're good. 
Sometimes, God, you go through things, most of the time you go through things and you think, why is God making me go through this? Who knows? Nobody knows. There's no answer to that question. It's just the way it is. Although one thing that did happen in that storm, by the way, which they were going to have to wait to spring to get to Rome, it blew them across the entire Mediterranean. So they like they landed like, just outside of Italy. So kind of amazing. But there's no way to really know. But you're good. He's, he's, he's moving you to a destination. And until you get there, you're good. And you can be brave. Can I tell you, okay, I'm at like 24 minutes. <laughs> can I, okay, can I tell you one thing that happened to me? This is, this is something that happened to me. Like, this was in 1995. So, in, this was in October 1995. We were living in Milan. I had a friend that lived in Germany named Lou. And he, he, was, he, was, this, he was taking trips to Bosnia during the war in Bosnia, taking stuff to pastors and stuff. Going, he had a, some kind of pass from the UN going all through Bosnia. He said, hey, you want to go with me? I was like, okay. Okay, okay, you know, but it's like, but it was through this war zone. There was another guy named Bob that came with us. He had, when we were driving towards, across Northern Italy into Bosnia, we were gonna spend a week in Bosnia. And he said, I said, are you all ever afraid? And this guy, Bob said, you know, about eight years ago, I was diagnosed with terminal cancer. They gave me four months to live. I did some experimental treatments and my cancer disappeared. So I should be dead. So I'm not bragging, but I'm never afraid of anything. So I think, okay, I'm going into a war zone with one guy who was kind of crazy for Jesus and the other guy who wasn't afraid of anything. Is this good or bad? <laughs> but, but anyway, but it turned out, I mean, we, it, we, it was an amazing week, but I'm typically afraid of everything. And for some reason, as I was having nightmares before we left of being kidnapped and shot and stuff. As soon as we left the driveway, I wasn't afraid one second. And, the, and I'm not bragging, I just wasn't afraid at all. And I wondered about that, like, why was I not afraid in probably the scariest place I'd ever been? Well, back in 1994, in the summer of 1994, we had come home from Italy. Our daughter Mary was, and Charlie, were going to a missionary kid school in Germany. In, 19, in the summer of 96, Mary was going to come to the state to college. Our daughter Val was gonna to go to Germany. We were gonna have four kids on two continents in three countries. And I did, Tina and I were both upset about it. What do we do? What do we do? Can we, what do we do? So I was reading, we had come home. I was reading scripture. I found a verse in Jeremiah 31 that said, it said, um, your work will be rewarded in, your, in the Lord and your children will return to their own land. And I thought, okay, it's not talking about that, but I'll take it. And then, and I talked to the pastor of Cedar Springs, John Wood, we were out for lunch and I, I was telling him about it. And he said, I just said, I don't know what to do. And he said, okay, the guy that mentored me started Christian colleges, Christian seminaries, Christian magazines and died. At his funeral, he had three kids who wouldn't even look up. They had never had a dad because he was too busy my dad's a pastor of a church, never wrote a book, never spoke at a conference, but his kids love him, his grandkids love him, and he's a happy old man. My goal in life is to be a happy old man. You need to come home for your kids. Well, so I had counsel and scripture, whatever, 
And then Tina was in California. She had taken the kids to California. And I was, we were staying out between Dixie Lee Junction and Lenore City in this kind of farmhouse. So I was, it was in 1994, it was about midnight. I was super, super upset about what do we do? And I was praying about it. I may or may not have bought a pack of cigarettes. I was so upset about this thing. <laughs> It may or may not, it would, if I had, it was the last time I ever did that. But I was just so upset and I was praying about it about midnight. And it's the only time I've ever had this happen. But God said to me, I don't know if it was a voice. I don't know if it was audible, but I know I heard it. He said, you have two more years in Italy. And I called Tina crying. I said, God just told me we only have two more years, but we have two more years in Italy. It was going to be over in 1996. In October and November of 1995, two years weren't done yet. I was going through a war zone and there was a place in my heart where I knew I'm gonna be okay. Anyway, Lord, um, we can all say that all the time, no matter what until we reach your goal for us, we're gonna be okay. I pray for someone who needs to be brave. Um, that you could tell them that you've got it. They could find their faith in Jesus, not only as their savior, but as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Give them the faith. I say courage, but give them the faith to be brave. In Jesus' name, amen. When life seems to roll like a storm out of control, there is so much I don't know that is in your plan. You named every star and you place them where they are. Every beat of every heart is within your
work and I trust you, I trust you.